this is Mike Harbath with this week's Shoot the Moon podcast, broadcasting live and direct from uh, Revenue Rocket World Headquarters in Bloomington, Minnesota. For those of you that don't know us, uh, Revenue Rocket is a premier advisor for M&A and growth strategy for IT services companies worldwide. Joining me today are my partners, Brian Barnett and Matt Lockhart. Gentlemen. Hi, Mike. How's it going? Good. Good. We're, um, we are here to talk about valuations today. Uh, certainly this is something we're seeing coming up in real time. Um, we talk a lot about valuations. And I know both of you have a lot of perspectives in your interactions with our clients and the market in general about what's going on with valuations. First of all, let's, uh, let's talk about why, you know, valuations are important. Valuations for your firm are an estimate of what we call market-based price. Um, this is where a deal could get uh, transacted and involves a variety of approaches and ultimately uh, involves actuarials and accountants that look at your numbers and come up with uh, what they believe to be a fair estimate of pricing based on comps and you know what your business is doing and all that stuff. And uh, if you want to get a rough feel for how that works, you certainly can go to our website at RevenueRocket.com and fill out our valuation calculator. Just take a minute or two, um, fill it out, and it'll give you a very broad brush on what you could expect um, the valuation to be. Um, and um, know that, you know, that that calculator is, is I'll just reemphasize that as a pretty, pretty broad approach. We To do a valuation properly, you need to really provide about uh, five years of history on your P&L and balance sheet and, and a reasonable forecast for the future, um, as well as any addbacks to EBITDA. And addbacks to EBITDA have to do with owner benefit things or things that would occur in a transaction uh, or expenses that would not occur after a transaction that maybe you're taking today. Uh, some of those might be a car lease or, or other owner benefit kind of things. Um, so, you know, that kind of brings us to how you should value your business. Um, you know, a lot of uh, folks um, get stuck in this um, position of thinking they can value their business quickly on an EBITDA multiple or a um, multiple earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization, um, and that that is the Bible of valuation. And as much as terminal value EBITDA multiples are important, it's not as easy to just say, hey, well, we made, um, you know, whatever the number is in the last 12 months in profit. And as a result, uh, we are, you know, not uh, we're just going to, you know, add a multiplier to that. And that's what we should get. You know, valuations are much more involved. And I don't know, Matt or Ryan, if you want to weigh in on this topic to talk a little bit about kind of market volatility and or, um, you know, where kind of certain sizes or types of companies might fall from an EBITDA multiple or even a market focus perspective, which uh, which impacts EBITDA multiples. Sure. You know, Mike, I, you know, you've often said to me, look, the ultimate value is what a buyer and a seller agree to <laughs> for the value of, of a business. Right. And and so. You know, uh, we all know there's, there can be strategic benefits, right? To a buyer. There are certain properties or, or businesses that 
um, you know, just using the law of supply and demand are hotter than others. I mean, shoot, you know, we're talking about real, real world scenarios today in, in cyber, for example, and, and that the valuations for, uh, cyber security businesses are, are, you know, higher because there's just less of the, of that capability in the marketplace today. Ryan? I couldn't agree with you more, Matt, on the, it take, what it takes as a willing buyer and a willing seller. Uh, that ultimately dictates price. Uh, that being said, it, the market helps set those prices based on previous transactions. And, and what we're seeing in this market is uh, in the IT services space, that's typically almost always going to be a multiple of, of your profit. So keep in mind, if you're looking to sell your firm, the best way to enhance the value of your firm is simply by being more profitable. I can't uh, stress that enough. If there's, if uh, we do see sometimes in the industries uh, those valuations changing, but for the most part, uh, just simply keeping profitability high is the best thing that you can possibly do for for you and your and your firm. Uh, and uh, we're we're seeing us you know, increased scrutiny on what that profit is and how. Uh, the recurring nature of the business can help uh, bring profitability uh, up and valuations up as well. Sure, Mike. Now, you know, we we take a, a bit of a different approach, you know, where we try to look forward uh, while at the same time, obviously, looking backward at, at past results and EBITDA-based results. You know, talk a little bit, Mike, about, about how we do both in terms of, of looking forward at the forecast, right, and and a realistic forecast in helping determine evaluation. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think uh, certainly if you're a buyer, and I think you always have to walk a mile in a buyer's shoes when you're contemplating selling your business. You know, you're going to want to know what is the what is a reasonable expectation for the cash flow um, of this business in the coming years. What's reasonable to expect based on market growth rate, based on the trajectory of the business, based on the sort of marketing and sales maturity of the, your business. Um, all those things play a role in determining, you know, how confident a buyer might be in your forecast. Now, if you haven't been growing your for, uh, business over the last several years, or it's had modest growth and Suddenly you forecast what we call hockey stick growth or kind of big up and to the right growth, high growth rates. Those are unbelievable. It's not plausible. If you're not going to change anything in the business to expect you're going to get big changes in growth, don't translate well uh, in the eyes and minds and confidence of a buyer. I think you have to be able to put forth a plan that would show you how you're going to grow the business. And that forecast has to be supported by that plan. And, and, in, and in many ways, supported by your historical performance, you know, the likelihood that for whatever reason, unless you've just recently completely overhauled your sales and marketing functions in the business, you're going to see a big difference in results in the future is pretty low, frankly. Um, and so we take into account both the forecast and your historical valuation in determining the value. Uh, we try to balance those the best we can. Um, we call it a balanced value calculation, and it does take into account future of value, and, um, and, and, and that's discounted back to today for risk. And so, 
you know, we think that's the right way to do it. Most buyers will model through a um, DCF or discounted cash flow uh, what that value of the business uh, today would be worth if it was discounted back to today for risk should the forecast be achieved. And they think about that in the context also of internal rate of return. Uh, internal rate of return has a lot to do with, um, you know, how quickly as a buyer you could expect to get your money back, right, um, by investing in a business. And as a seller, you have to keep this in mind because if your ask is to um, say, hey, we're going to, you know, we want a big multiple, let's say, for our business that may not be warranted as it related to competitive uh, the competitive landscape, or we think the one plus one equals three so much with a particular buyer that we should get paid a premium. The only way that actually could occur is if the IRR would uh, work. Essentially, that the expected return rate would be uh, good, and um, you know that is uh, critical. And so I would um, you know keep that in mind as well. Hopefully, that's helpful, Matt. No, absolutely. And I mean, I think that that touches on, you know, the risk of attempting to to overvalue a business. Right. I mean, ultimately, you know, if a, if a seller's made that decision uh, to, you know, to sell the business, that's a that's an extremely important decision. You know, uh, we've seen, you know, a number of uh, of our customers that really struggle. Right. Is it the right time? And, and, and there's a whole bunch of considerations that go beyond just pure dollars and cents, right? The, the emotional, the, you know, uh, the other things that somebody wants to do with their life and, and realizing their, um, you know, the benefits of their life's work. Uh, and if you try to overvalue the business too much, well, then you're just going to be frustrated because buyers are looking at that IRR as one of the most important things to, uh, you know, to achieve. Um, what's the, you know, what's the risk of, for a, for a buyer in attempting to undervalue the business? Obviously difficulty in getting the deal done, but, you know, what are some of the other risks, you know, to buyers if they're attempting to, to undervalue the business, Mike and Ryan? Well, certainly, you know, there's plenty of buyers that are, they're kind of our bottom feeders and lowball, right? Um, world's filled with people that want to buy companies at what we think as much as half of fair value. And those buyers will talk to lots and lots of companies and not get any deals done. Now, occasionally, you know, even a blind squirrel can find a nut. So, um, you know, these people will find a business owner who wants out so badly or maybe their business condition is um, maybe not optimal. And they may be able to find a seller that would agree uh, to that deal. Um, but uh, certainly there, there's plenty of these guys out there, uh, that have a, a mandate to underpay and they'll look at, and, and it's in their business model, look at hundreds of deals before they might find one. We think this is a bad practice. Uh, we think actually it's hard enough to get deals done when you pay fair value. Um, and you're much better off looking to find a middle ground on fair value. Uh, between a buyer and a seller and getting a transaction done, if there's merits in that transaction, you know, if they line up strategically, financially, uh, and culturally, 
then, you know, try to be fair about it. Uh, you know, business, um, you know, advisors that advise on M&A, such as Revenue Rocket, help uh, with that negotiation, help to find the what we call middle ground or fair middle ground on both price and deal structure. Um, and, and we bring a luxury of perspective to that conversation because, you know, the number of deals we've seen and the ones that we're actively seeing every week, um, we certainly can, you know, weigh in on what we consider to be fair, uh, both from a buyer's perspective and a seller's perspective. And, you know, I would just comment that no, quote, unquote, unfair deals get done, meaning it's very difficult to transact a deal um, that is tilted one way or the other meaningfully. Um, you know, the deals will find the middle if they're going to get done. Uh, sometimes they'll need to be renegotiated or what we call retraded after the LOI is presented based on findings and due diligence or things that are discovered as you're working through due diligence. That occurs from time to time, but it's typically occurs when there is a material um, impact to the business or discovered based on due diligence, or maybe there's some sort of tax thing or some other, you know, um, something that might drive that, uh, what we call retrading or repackaging of the deal. Your ability to do that and do that fairly is certainly uh, dramatically enhanced. Uh, by using an intermediary uh, as well. And so, you know, so I, I guess I would, you know, leave it there. There's also a significant trap, you know, in overvaluing uh, the business, your business for sale. A lot of people have a, a belief that um, an irrationally exuberant buyer is going to come to them and pay them a big premium over the market. And that just isn't going to occur. I think as a practical matter, you know, we all hear about deals of people paying up and, oh, my, you know, buddy got X times EBITDA for his business and I should be able to get that too. Um, it, it, you know, you don't know the nuance of that deal or how it was structured necessarily. And, you know, it may or may not have been at that multiple. Um, I think it's important to note that fair value can be reasonably determined to get a deal done. and if you have really high expectations for value, you're going to have to talk to lots, maybe even hundreds of potential buyers to try to find someone that might pay that number. And it still may not occur. The, the irrationally exuberant buyers that are, quote, unquote, overpaying are very rare. They do exist, um, but they're they're very, very rare. And at certain times of the market, they don't exist at all. And so some of these buyers we see come in and out of the market uh, with an objective to create sort of a transformational company or thesis, and they have a reason for overpaying. And they may not, they may buy one company and overpay and then try to do token acquisitions, or they may do it as a way to get into the market because they have more capital than um, that they want to put to work and it's, you know, or they have a mandate to put that capital to work in a limited period of time. There's a variety of things that are driving that. But I guess, you know, what we see with sellers that tend to overvalue their business and wait for that, um, you know, lightning to strike, more often than not, they're disappointed and they don't get a deal done. Yeah. And in, in addition to that, they're, they're risking their performance in within that day. Right. Or within that period that they're attempting to get this, uh, 
you know, smoking overvalued deal, right? Because it, it, it takes time. It takes effort, uh, to sell your company. And, uh, you know, that, that time and effort is time and effort that's not often being applied to, you know, running the business, you know, in that period. And so, you know, it's being reasonable. It's getting a, a good deal, right? It's getting a fair value for the business. In past podcasts, we've talked about how to structure, you know, how the changes in, a, in the structure of a deal have an impact on value as well, right? But I think that, you know, to your point, Mike, it's really about meeting in the middle. And, and everybody, you know, I've, I've heard you say, you know, everybody should feel good while at the same time feel as though they've, you know, that they've given appropriately in a, in a negotiation to find that appropriate middle. Yeah, that's, that's totally the case, man. Um, you know, certainly advisors like Revenue Rocket can help you guys find the middle. Uh, I think that's the role that, a, that an advisor plays, um, an M&A advisor, um, is not only in helping to shepherd a proven process to make sure that everybody's kind of getting the work done in a timely manner, um, but also to uh, find the middle and to work around any, you know, speed bumps or issues or challenges that occur on the road to getting the transaction done. And certainly we would welcome the opportunity to talk to you about how we could help. You know, you can reach out to us at info at revenuerocket.com or on our, on our website, uh, our phone number. Feel free to give us a call or reach out to, you know, one of our very capable peers in the market, uh, that provide, you know, M&A services as well. There's a, good group of us uh, that I think are running these companies focused uh, on IT services companies or exclusively on IT services companies as we are uh, that can provide advice and counsel as well. Unless there's any comment, other comments from you, Ryan or Matt. You covered it. I think we're all right, Mike. Yeah, I think we're going to tie a ribbon on it. So uh, thank you for attending uh, this week's podcast uh, for the middle of May in uh, 2021. Take care.